Good afternoon. It was a scary observation to note that your grammar has been monitored and that you become the new reference point or lexicon for others who are seeking knowledge. I would want to invite you to give a round of appreciation for our earlier speaker in the person of Brother Majid. As I admitted this morning on radio, I am not such a movie person. I, when I watch movie, I watch it to critique content, message, values that are being promoted. And so my wife is not particularly enthused watching movies with me. But this morning on radio, I recommended one of the favorite movies I watched, The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody who is a man needs to watch Will Smith's movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. One of my sons had gone to the United States to study, and um, he thought my passion for the youth could be augmented by me watching that movie, and I have never regretted watching it. It's not like a die-in-the-wood Christian movie, but it's got a lot of lessons if you're really and willing to learn. I am profoundly honored by the gesture of this invitation, and as I said yesterday, God has been good to me, and therefore, I'm thankful to God. I'm equally grateful to the leadership of this church, as well as tons of appreciation to the singles ministry leadership for putting this together. I have privately spoken to pastor and some of the leaders whose attention I had gotten that you need encouragement, you need encouragement for putting this together because you can see that there's a lot of work, a lot of work. And so we can all show appreciation to the leaders. Um, I have been, by the grace of God, doing events since age 20. And I'll be 50 this year, as I said. So for 30 years of my life, I have done loads and loads of events. And I know what goes into events. Um, the most difficult part is to conceptualize. That's the most difficult part. And to be able to ensure, secondly, that it runs seamlessly. And when anything jilts your schedule, out of gear, it makes it very difficult for leaders, especially when things like timelines are not adhered to. People don't come on time. Your, your speakers get distressed, but thankfully, speakers didn't show it, and we have decided not to show it. So you don't feel that you're being overbearing on us. I have graciously sat back um, watching and listening 
and learning and taking copious notes. I've taken notes whilst he was speaking and uh, the thing with me is that whenever I hear a speaker, the Lord give me, gives me thematic areas for further reflections. And so I'm grateful for what you shared, very passionate about what you were sharing. And you can see this is not like a book knowledge. And, um, but of course, you need a, a theoretical framework for every activity. So when I hear people say, oh, this is theory, I, I look at them and I, I shudder to come to terms with what you're thinking because for every act of yours, it proceeds from a thought. Yeah. Our actions, the, the womb of every action is actually your thought processes. So whatever you're thinking is theory <laughs> until you practicalize it. Okay, so I'm going to, um, this afternoon, be very lighthearted. Somebody came to me yesterday and said, ah, I didn't know you could create so much fun. You come across as a very serious person. Of course, I'm a very serious person because I'm largely influenced by my choleric trait, um, partially melancholy, sanguinic, uh, <laughs> uh, not so much phleg. <laughs> so uh, my, my drift really is achieving tasks. And um, also part of me is compliance, which is the melancholy bit. And making sure things are done right and proper. Um, so, but there's also the sanguinic part, which is I love to talk to people. I love to engage. Conversation is something I really enjoy. Um, and so let's see what we can have a conversation around. And what we're going to have a conversation around is Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Um, it's a very heavy afternoon, especially after a meal. <laughs> um, but we would, we would uh, ensure that the grace of God keeps us. I need a very good reader to help me as they project Luke chapter 16. We're reading from verse 19. There's a bad practice out there in public communication where it is you hear verse number Never ever say that. Verse and number are the same. It's becoming a new pattern in public discourse. The yeah, verse number. What is the essence of that? If you're going to say verse, say verse. If you say number, fine. Okay. <laughs> Luke 16 from verse 19. Can I get someone to read it for us? It's on the screen, of course. Um, I need somebody who does public reading, because not all of us are public readers, and you would read for me very well. So kindly give our volunteer the microphone so that she's audible. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. All right. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man This is the who new, was... new Living Translation, okay, NLT. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. 
the rich man also died and was buried. And he so went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Said, send Lazarus over, there, over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in the anguish. And you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great sham. A great chasm, which Chas is chasm gap or separating space. us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and return to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Hmm. This is heavy, isn't it? Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. Lord, once again, remind us of this story and relate it to our life's journey. May we be people who will be careful to pay attention to the distance between us and people who come into our space. Help us in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. The first time I had the opportunity to travel on train in any western country, when I got to the train station, I saw yellow delineations or markings. And they were there to remind you to create a distance between yourself and the edge of the real tracks. And so one was reminded to mind their step. Because the moment you go past the yellow markings, there's a likelihood that the speed of the train can throw you away or can carry you along, depending on what you're actually wearing. Now, as a person who is dealing with relationship issues on the minute, both at the pre-nuptial stage or within marital unions, and even sometimes at the termination point. There are a few conclusions that I have come to. 
Welcome, sir. And so this afternoon, I want to have a conversation with you titled, Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. One of the most scariest thing today is to find two people making a choice to either date, court, or marry, and there's still a gap between them. And they are not intentionally bridging the gap. So there is equity or equilibrium in what they do. Any state of disequilibrium potentially can create trouble. And I'll be raising a few gaps that exist. And each one of you who is either dating, courting, or ready for marriage, you need to look at that. A few years ago, the Lord led us to start an initiative called Sensible Single Summit. And the idea was born out of my observation. I like to observe a lot because for me, life is a whole journey of lessons. And every day, I'm learning something new. And the few meetings that we did, we realized that people indeed were senseless. They throw caution to the wind and become recklessly abandoned, caught up in the frenzy of feelings. Feelings, they evaporate like vapor. Because feelings actually do not build your life. Because feelings can change depending on the circumstance in which you find yourself. And so each one of you, anybody who comes within your space, look out for gaps that may exist between you and the person. Now the story we've just read relates to a rich man who had enough? And look at the dress he was wearing. Purple. In those days, purple or velvet or any of those kinds of colors like indigo and the like were worn by people of prestige, people of honor, people of distinction. But it was contrasted with somebody who had nothing, a pauper, a beggar, a poor person. And he was literally feeding from the crumbs that fell off the table of this well-to-do individual. But some way, somehow, as divine providence will have it, there was a flip over of the two individuals and where they were. And it so happened that all of a sudden, a new picture is painted where the previous order changes giving way to a new order where now Lazarus is found in the bosom of Abraham. Enjoying the largesse and the pleasures of God. The Lord had filled his mouth with good things. And the other man who had everything together earlier was gnashing and languishing in a place of torment. And they could see each other. And that's the interesting thing with gaps. No matter how the gap would be, we will see each other. And then he requested Abraham to do him one last favor. I don't wish that for you. 
That you get to a point where you take a marital or relational decision only to go to God and say, God, do me one last favor. Take me out of this. Away with this headache. This is becoming a yoke I can no longer bear. May God forbid that that should be part of your story. And it's interesting to see the response of Father Abraham. And Father Abraham tells this fellow that, look, <laughs> even if people were raised from the dead to come and speak to those other folks that you're talking about that they should be warned, they're not going to listen. Because they've become recalcitrant. They've got into a stage where they are stiff-necked. They are stubborn. They are hardened-hearted. They become as hard as a flint. And a flint is a sharp-edged cutting stone. And sometimes people put it at the edge of their arrows. He said, no, that's not going to happen. Can he dip his finger into the water and quench my thirst? He says, that's not going to happen. There are too many people who have taken a decision to go into a relationship and they're looking for 15 strategies to have, have a happy relationship. And there are too many people out there who are offering that. Hmm. You see, anytime you hear somebody tell you that 22 guidelines for a successful marriage, they assume that your strength and their strength is the same. They assume that their belief system and your belief system are the same. But you and I know that's not the case, isn't it? And so I call upon you to customize your love response to people. Anytime you love somebody like your friend is doing, that's the biggest mistake you would have made. Are we together? Can I make progress? Are you still following? All right. Now, Father Abraham reminds him that the gap between where he was and where this Lazarus fellow now finds himself is so wide that it cannot easily be bridged. But thank God that we have Jesus who bridges every form of gap that does exist. There are certain gaps that are no gaps at all. But people have created them as gaps. But there are real gaps that exist when it is that you're building a relationship. So when we say mind the gap, what we are saying is that take care or be careful about what you're about to do. It is said that the wise fellow sees danger and they run for safety. But you see, in the everyday life of a person, when you see danger and you run, you are called a coward. But in the narrative of God, the story of God, when you see danger and you run, you are wise. Are we here? Now, I've seen young ladies and gentlemen who are hanging around a character who promises them danger, and yet they are there. The whole individual is packaged in a package with the label danger. Buyer, beware. And yet, they say, well, I will buy and manage them. What? 
saying? Hmm. It simply is pay attention. When we talk about a gap, we're talking about a separation in space or a deficiency in an area. There are two different meanings. One has to do with spatial difference. The other has to do with deficiency. Something they lack. Something they don't have. And I've seen a lot of people who are married to individuals only for them to settle in the relationship or marriage and to discover that they lack this, they lack that, they lack this, they lack that, they lack this, they lack that. My question is, how come they didn't see it? Hmm. Met a young lady who was very passionate about marrying a certain man and she had been dissuaded by everybody. And she won't listen. The man was 52 and she was 25. She was more than determined to marry this man. She had thrown caution to the wind. Nobody could dissuade her. So the first gap that I want you to look at is what is described as generational gap. Anytime you're going to marry somebody, look, some of you are very savvy when it comes to technology. You are diggy compliant. But there are people who are not that diggy compliant. So when a diggy compliant person marries a non-diggy compliant person, there could be chaos. You know why? Your whole life is on social media. His life is invisible life. Whilst you're talking about virtual reality, he's talking about visible reality. And that contrast can always be clashing. He talked about the spirit warring against the flesh. That's a kind of it. Your generation and the person you are intending to date or marry, what's the gap between the two of you? If you identify the gap, you must work and trust God to bridge it. Are we here? The second gap you must think about and pray about is knowledge gap. He spoke about knowledge. That is why the Apostle Paul speaks and says that we should have the knowledge of Christ. There's the need for that because, you see, how you know Jesus reflects in how you connect with Jesus. And your knowledge of Christ is essentially the foundation of your strength. And so if a person doesn't really know Jesus, how are they going to have strength? So some see Jesus as somebody who is fed up with life. Somebody who is uninterested in what you're doing. Some people see Jesus as only being interested in the things you do for showmanship, the things you do in public. But you see, as a Christian, both your private and public life must be consistently Christian. Hello? Are you here with me? You cannot be a Christian in the daytime and something else in the night. That is called inconsistency. How well do you know Jesus? Apostle Paul had an encounter on the road to Damascus, fuming with rage and anger to go and kill Christians. 
and he encountered Christ. And yet he still prayed in the book of Philippians and says that I may know him. How well do you know Jesus? How well does the person you claim to be in love with know Jesus? You are looking for a husband who will be a priest of your home. Then you are going to marry somebody who right now clearly will become a passive priest in the home. He talked about priests. Isn't it? I remember. You are looking for a woman who would train your children in the rudiments and the things of God. Today, I mean, this morning, my wife made me shed tears, almost. I had to hold it back because I had asked my producer for the show to go and interview three different women and two girls about good memories they have of their fathers and husbands, respectively. And little did I know that this guy was going to interview my wife and interviewed my colleague, Dr. Emmanuel Hobson's wife and interviewed my other colleague, Michael Menzer's wife. And when we said, give us, I wanted to listen to the audio, audible voices before I went on air. He never allowed me. Apparently, it was bringing a surprise on me. When I heard Dr. Hobson's wife, I cringed. Then I heard my wife's voice. Then I was in shock. Then I heard Michael's wife, Abigail, speak. And there was a line in all three that our husbands are a good example of husband and fathers. All three women said that. Now, one of the things I said for myself as a young person, because I came to Christ at age 10. I married at age 30 as a virgin. And so in those days, those young men who used to come to my teens meetings, I challenged them that if you are talking about girls being virgins, I am also on a crusade to tell boys you can also be virgins. Because I wasn't talking theory, I was talking about practice. One who loves Jesus and was so madly in love with Jesus that I won't trade Jesus for anything. My friends in Conforia Sectec when I was there would say you look Jimmy Jimmy if you don't have sex before you marry. But having traveled the length and the breadth of this globe, at the last count, 43 different nation states, I don't look Jimmy Jimmy. I mean, I don't, do I? Now, so when I hear people who say, go give condoms to young people because they are unrestrained, they are incapable, is the biggest insult you can tell a youth. If anybody told you that, they've told you the biggest lie of your life. When you listen to the radio and watch the television, people make presuppositions based on a certain knowledge. One of my boys, I saw him wearing Bob Marley shirt, huge one. And I asked him, what's happening to you? He said, today is Bob Marley's birthday. And I'm like, are you serious? Christian young man? And is that how we've got it to? Somebody says, well, why? It's just something light. It's entertainment. It's more than entertainment. 
Adolf Hitler said, I don't care who rules a nation as long as I'm the one who writes a youth song. Whoever writes your song, the lyrics of your song, has the capacity to run your life. There are many of us who are struggling with our Christian life, but you see, the knowledge you're receiving from radio, from television, from the books, are contrary to the things Jesus expects of you. How can you live what Jesus is asking you to live when the knowledge you're receiving is contrary to what Jesus signs as correct? It's not possible because somebody cannot produce anything that does not have Christ-likeness at the root because a good seed out of its goodness brings forth good fruits. That's the biggest challenge. We're all seeking knowledge, but what knowledge? Then ask him, why about money? He said, oh, he speaks wisdom. Then ask him, which wisdom? He said, oh, wisdom. I said, wisdom, where? Then he started running a few lines of some of the Bomali songs. I said, look, don't listen to people who are popular. <laughs> because we are not in a popularity contest. Jesus, when people were looking for him, they said, everybody's looking for you. He went into hiding. He's not looking to be famous. Unfortunately, some young men and women don't know the difference between a celebrity and a royal. There's a big difference between a celebrity and a royal because oftentimes, unless a person who is a celebrity comes to Jesus, they become self-seeking, self-serving, self-perpetuating, self-aggrandized, and self, and self, and self. But when you come to Jesus, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You've got to lower yourself. You've got to die. Then Jesus is lifted up and through Jesus, he draws people to himself. You see, and this is why a lot of young people are having issues when it comes to pre-wedding preparations. Because they behave as though they are celebrities. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. We are literally becoming like Hollywood look-alike. So you've got to check the knowledge gap. The third gap you must check is what I call credibility gap. There are people who are not credible. The form and the substance are not the same. When you scratch the surface, what you see is different from what you saw on the facade. It's called the glossy surface. I've sat with people. I met a guy um, somewhere in Paris who dated a girl online. Apparently, the girl had done sex change or what we call sexual reengineering. Was originally male who had become trans and become a female and the guy fell in love with her on Facebook. But that's the dread of his life because there's so many of us, we're looking at the beautiful container out there and we are excited by the color we see, the flavor we have, and the ambience created around it. Look, go beyond the surface. Check the credibility of the individual. How credible are they? You look at a character. 
Somebody say, how do you know, do I know character? You know the character of the person by the choices and the decisions they are making. It's an easy gauge. The guy comes to visit you and he wants to touch you when he says, we won't have sex before marriage. And yet he's touching you. Check his credibility. Because see, the thing is this, that, listen, friends, when I hear all those kinds of people making statements like use your vagina to get what you want, do this and that, this is you, it is you and your life. Who told you it's you and your life? When you have a problem right now, it becomes a problem of all of us. So it cannot be you and your life. It's not what you want to do. What is the credibility of the guy or the lady in your life? Can you vouch for their character? Because see, I, I mean, I used to travel a lot without my wife. Travel a lot. But how can my wife have the assurance that as Amos travels, he's not going to be hunky-punky sleeping around? Because I did not create conveniences for myself. Credible people don't look for that which is convenient. They look at what is consistent with their character. Mm. I know this, I have this stuff because this generation, somebody says, oh, these days if you speak the truth to the youth, they will run away. They won't run away. They will receive it. Because I know the kind of young men and women who are here. You mean well, you want to get somewhere, you want to make the most of your life, and it's not going to come easy. It ain't going to come easy, like they say in America. Oh, no. It ain't going to be easy. But uneasy lies a head that wears the crown. If you want to wear a crown, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walk in the park. I shared with my youth the other time at church that there was a time I would never shake hands with sisters because I was struggling with erection. And there are brothers who are struggling with erection, but you come to church and you're hugging sisters. And you know as soon as you, have, you hug a sister upright. And you're still doing that. What kind of brain are you having, brother? You've got to keep your hand in your pocket and say, sister, how are you? Praise the Lord. And save your soul in Jesus' name. Somebody say, and I'm into that one. It's better to walk safe and sound than to be hugging and you know that you're struggling. And this particular sister, you always want to hug her because there's a benefit accruing to the hug. Because, you see, a hug is not just a hug. For some people, a hug is benefit. They are doing what I call galamse. Credibility gap. <laughs> so you've got to check the credibility of an individual that is in your life. The next gap you must check is communication gap. You are speaking, and the person is not speaking on the same level with you. What you are saying doesn't make sense. I didn't say anything, I ever worry. Number of also, they said one year to once. Look at his brain. Look at the construction. I promise you. Who told you promise is the same as covenantal vows? There are too many people who are coming to the altar already consummated. Already consummated. The only thing left is pastor to stretch forth his hands over them. John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness. 
He was wearing an attire that was not nice. And yet people will move from the cities to go to the wilderness to listen to John. That is the generation God is looking for. Oh, amen. Some sisters have believed in a certain lie which is being thrown out there that what men can do, women can do. Look. And they add even better. That's the worst lie you can believe in. Let me show you why. Because, you see, we are not in a state of competition. So there's no point in trying to outdo what men are doing. Just do what God has designed you to do. This lecting will not try to compete with this holding device for this. <laughs> Even though all of them can have a place to rest something. Because what it can do, only it can do and do it well. That's it. Why are women and men competing? For what? God never designed us to compete. He designed us to complement. So your genitalia, men have 75% out. 25% interior. Dr. Swaha, look at the women. This is the converse. 75% interior. 25% exterior. And the woman is designed to receive. The man is designed to enter. At our marriage retreat recently, our slogan was, Open ye gate that the king of glory may enter. Somebody say praise the Lord. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and Genesis 5 verse 2, listen to what he says in summary. He created them male and female. He created them male and female and blessed them. So listen, ladies sitting here, you have been blessed. Gentlemen sitting here, you have equally been blessed. And so when two blessed individuals meet, they fulfill God's order by reflecting God's beauty, which is Christ-likeness. So my wife is not less than me. She is equal to me. Henry Matthew says that God did not take the woman from the sole of the feet of the man for him to trample her underfoot. Neither was she taken from the crown of your head, so she sits on you. But she was taken from your side, from under your arm, so that you can love her and embrace her as equal. There are too many men who are insecure about the rising and the success of women. If you're a man here threatened by the success of a lady, you need healing. A Christ-like man actually elevates a woman and brings her to a place where they can be embracing each other as complementing one another. Peter says that we have been translated from darkness into light. You have been translated from darkness into light. Now my question is this. For those of you in relationships, what are you doing there? Listen, if you don't answer this question, you'll be confused. 
Because some are in relationship, which is relationship. Some are dating, others are courting. But are the two the same? So if the two are not the same, how can people behave in dating as though they are married? And those courting behave as though they are married. You start paying bills. Why? You start doing laundry. Why? You start going to fix abomu. <laughs> All kinds of menu, recipe. It has become your lot. My question is this. Is that the right time? Gehazi was asked, is this the right time to receive money? That means money must be received at a certain point. But when you get money at the wrong time, it's a Gehazi spirit. Now listen, let me say something for you to know. One of the things that is happening in our generation is the spirit of discontentment. It's one of the abundant evil spirits in the land. That's why a man can be married to a beautiful woman and he sees another and says, I like this one too. It's discontentment that does that. But the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Single people who ought to walk like singles are not content with being single and they are behaving as though they are married. Then you go and see married people who are supposed to be working as married people rather behave like single people. It's a spirit of discontentment. There are so many people who think that women are complex, but I have just recently had my eyes clearly open to see that the complexity of women is in their simplicity. Look, when you look at women, it is the little things that mean so much to them, not the big things. So many of the young men, they want to do bellacious stuff. Jaw-dropping activity. Things that have, will hold a woman spellbound. You go like, <laughs> Look, it will never wow a woman, I tell you. For women, it is the little things you, do, you are doing. That hiding of your phone. It's little. But for a woman, the little things are the big things. And guess what I discovered? Too many women think that men are difficult And when yet you talk to a man, he say, but we are simple. But I have come to discover that the simplicity of men is in their complexity. What goes into the mind of a man is always something you find difficult to understand. Hey, I'm here to encourage you, brothers and sisters. 2 Timothy 2.22 in the Amplified Bible, it says, run away from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those, you read it in parenthesis, believers who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Listen, anybody who wants to date you, be sure they are calling upon the name of the Lord. I used to say once the brother or sister is in the fellowship, I have changed that. Because there are people in the fellowship who don't call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Check. Is it out of a pure heart? Ask yourself, is this a friendship, dating, or a relationship? What are you doing? Define what is happening. Be clear in your mind what you're doing because, you see, on our wedding day, I put a banner there. Today, I marry my friend and my lover. Beautiful banner. And after our wedding, I got to know that one of my wife's colleagues, schoolmates, was sitting at the back and she was in tears just on the side of the banner. Because on this earth, there's no woman closer to me like my wife. On this earth, I don't have a friend closer to me than my wife. She's my confidant. She's my chief advisor. In fact, if I don't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, I don't take lightly what my wife cautions me about. That's how important my wife is in my life. There are a lot of men who don't take what their wife says serious because it starts when you're dating. Can you call the lady your sister? Can you call her my sister in the Lord? Can you call that brother my brother in the Lord? That's what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. There are four different relationships. Older men you call fathers. Older women you call mothers. Younger men you call brothers. And younger sisters you call sisters with absolute purity. When it comes to relationship, the battlefield is not I love you, it is purity. Can I love you and stay pure? Till we say, I do. You go to many, many, many churches, many services where there's a wedding, and you hear the pastor say, after he had blessed it, now you may kiss your bride. Even there, it's optional, now you may. There are some of us who have gone to how-to. We have done dress rehearsal. I go to some weddings and I sit at the back and when they say, now you may kiss your bride, I see the anxiety. I see the trepidation. I see the, you know, energy, the level of adrenaline gushing through the body systems of the people. And when they start kissing, you can see that these people, they started dress rehearsal years back because they've gone to YouTube to look at how to, how to, how to and they have learned all the how to's may God help us <laughs> well brothers and sisters as I close what is the model that you must look for in a husband or wife I leave you with Luke chapter 2 verse 52 anybody who comes into your life and wants to date you wants to marry you, wants to spend the rest of your life with them or theirs with you. Check this. He says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. When you look at the Amplified, it says, in broad and full understanding and in stature and years and in favor with God and with man. Anybody who comes into your life must have the same increase. As it was in Christ, so must it be in his followers. Are they increasing or they have become stunted? We must grow in increasing measure. Not as you were last year. 
This year should be an improvement of last year. It's called qualitative improvement. The quality level must not be the same. What's the level of wisdom? James says that there's a wisdom of this world and there's a wisdom of God. It's important as young men and women to understand that the Lord has an expectation for your life to show wisdom, great wisdom. You see, a person who is wise knows why he can do some things and cannot do some things. He says, wisdom has built his house, isn't it? And has hewn out its pillars. And he says, by understanding, the house is filled with riches and precious things. Now, my dear friends, look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. You cannot abandon Jesus and say you are wise. So James says that who amongst you throws his or her weight about that they are wise? He says, let them show it by deeds of goodness. Because wisdom which is from God is first and foremost pure. It's not fighting. It's not jostling. This is how I feel. I will do it. I don't care what you think. You must care what I think. If Jesus can stop and ask, who do men say that I am? Is gauging his public credibility. It's no joke. Look at it, stature. The doctors will tell you, let the person go for anatomical review. In that, they show everything. He needs to do an assessment of his health condition because marriage requires health. I've been on the phone talking. Why? Because somebody failed to disclose something he should have disclosed. And he got married to a lady and one year down the line, the discovery is that the day is not there. Wagadre. If you live in a generation where people are wearing things they call matriki Jesus. <laughs> you got to be careful. A guy recently took a lady to court in South Africa because he says the lady had fooled him. The picture he saw on Facebook for which he went to marry the lady. And when the lady came to the house, they were different. What a shock. For you, the young man who love goose, bakazel. You want bakazel, so you want the share, was there? <laughs> I've been, I've been reading some, some celebrities being trolled on, on, on the network. They say all, all the things they are showing on the backside is artificial. And they have listed the four most artificially inclined backs in Ghana. And they have listed them. <laughs> no. Did you watch that advert where the lady was in town? She had long hair. She came home and she was just going to the restaurant. Then she took the wig, boom, and then she was bald head. Some of you are going to have the shock of your life because, see, what you're seeing is the glossy image. But the real deal is when you marry the person. One of my friends, he spent his honeymoon three days, for the first two days, to cast out 
the spell of witchcraft, see, from his wife. Listen to me. He's my friend. And I have his permission to share. Look, they used to be in the prayer warrior group in the same church. When they were dating each other, the lady was born on Wednesday and he was born on a Friday or so. And the lady would fast on Fridays and he would fast on Wednesdays. Many do that. But when they got married, their plan was to take shower together. But as they got there, the lady said, wait, let's have a chat. We need to have a conversation first. Says, she asked him, didn't God tell you anything? What do you mean? We're praying for each other. No, God never said anything. And then, didn't God show you anything? Says, no. Are you sure God never showed you that I was a witch? Listen, this thing I'm talking about is no joke. They have moved out of Tema to their honeymoon area in a hotel called Partners May in Koforidia. And in that place, the lady was confessing to him, I have been carrying witch from my grandmother. The husband said, now you are my wife. I've taken a vow for better and for worse. We will spend time to deal with this because the God in whom I have believed will not allow the spirit to haunt and destroy you because you're a good lady. He spent two nights dealing with the spirit of witchcraft in his own wife. Some of you are not ready for said test. <laughs> you are just not ready. But I'm telling you, go and look for shock absorbers. For those of you who don't know there are bumpy surfaces in marriage, get a shock absorber. Because those who designed the car knew that there will be shocks. And so they put a shock absorber. So you, when the absorber is weak, you hear, choo, 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 choo. it's a neighbor. Some of you are sitting here, you say you're having a crash on a lady. Maybe you follow the crash to this meeting. You better get a crash helmet. Get a crash helmet. Because what is coming, you have no idea. Get a crash helmet. <laughs> Otherwise, you would be completely dissipated. May the Lord God, who gives all grace, help you young men and women to find favor in the eyes of God and in the eyes of mortals. God bless you. Elder, God bless you. I mean, I, I, I am lost of words. I always enjoy listening to you. Ah, I mean, this is someone else. Our thoughts together. Um, the first question I have, um, this question is from Friday, yesterday. It reads, after a series of painful situations in a relationship, how do you deal with the fear and low self-esteem as long as the pain that gets you gets you edgy most of the time. I don't know if that is clear. Um, it says, after a series of painful situations in a relationship, how do you deal with the fear and low self-esteem as long as the pain that gets you edgy most of the time? Hello? I wasn't hearing you well. Please forgive me. 
I take it again. After a series of painful situations in a relationship, how do you deal with the fear and low self-esteem? As long as the pain that gets you edgy most of the time. I'm thinking it's a recurrent, it has to do with recurrent pain. How do you deal with this? All right, thank you. Um, like we, <coughs> first of all, <laughs> let me congratulate you. I enjoy your session. This is the first time meeting. All right, so as we started last on Thursday, um, Broken Heart comes with a lot of lessons for us to learn. If you don't learn the lessons, that's where you have the trouble. And I will entreat every broken hearted person. Once you finish crying, once you finish what? Crying. Go back to the drawing board. What are you supposed to learn that I didn't learn? Once you started asking these questions, that's a rational way of thinking. Instead of crying the whole day, there's time to cry. Do cry enough when you are done with the crying. What are you supposed to what? Learn. If you can take a lesson, realize that, look, there's a lot of hope for you. The next thing, how to what? Move on. The good thing is, if you learn a lesson, you repeat the same mistakes. That's why I said, your nest is always better than your S. Your nest is always better than what? Eh, because you learn the what? The lesson. But if you don't learn the lesson, you repeat the same mistakes. Just as we go to school. If you dodge class one from school A and just school B, to the same class one, is the same lessons. Once you fail from here, if you don't learn, you encounter the same thing there. So learn the lessons. When you learn the lesson, you have that confidence that look, and next I'm going in, it's going to be better. I won't be filled with fears. We could have comforted my heart. Troubles. Our trouble is we don't learn the lessons, and we go in with the hope that next person might turn up different. And we end up going through series of the same kind of relationship, but with different kind of what? People. All right. Okay, let me just quickly add on the issue of the self-esteem bit. You see, self-esteem, two words. Self is you. Esteem is a short form of estimation or value you place on yourself. Now, many of the people who go through breakups and significantly lose their self-esteem is because they tie their value to the relationship. You and the relationship cannot be at the same level of value. You are distinct from the relationship. And so it's important now to look again at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, you may have lost a relationship, but you still have life. Because the value of a life is not the same as a relationship lost. Are, are, are you with me? And that's so important for people of that nature. And sometimes they lose out because um, they think they have invested so much in it. And it's gone with the wind. And that also is an error in judgment. You can be impacted, yes. But you can get over it. One of the things you don't do is to uh, try to court the sympathy of that individual and desperately go and plead for them to have mercy on you because relationship is not built on sympathy or pity. Anybody who gets into a relationship with you out of pity needs greater volumes of pity for it to stay. The day they lose pity for you, that's the end of the relationship. 
So that's what I want to add to what uh, Councillor Adofoli said. The next question. Will you break up with a guy because he consistently pressures you into premarital sex? Since most gentlemen these days... Sorry, can you slow down as you read? Uh, Sorry. So we can hear you clearly. All right. Will you break up with a guy because he consistently pressures you into premarital sex? Mm. Since most gentlemen these days say confidently they don't want to marry ladies who are virgins. Can I ask? I want to ask you more questions. So the next question is, how do you come out from an unproposed relationship after finding out the lady is a bad person and not ready to change? Note, the guy has really fallen in love but has not proposed yet. Yeah. Um, the audibility is not so good. Um, are you able to... Because we can't hear it clearly. It's not you, but I think it's got to do with the sound, which is coming. Or otherwise you bring it to us and then we share it. And we take turns to read and respond. I think that would be a much easier way to go. Yeah, just share it amongst us. We take maybe two, 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 and then we run. That could be faster. All right, okay. All right, okay. So I'll read mine. Uh, this one has three questions. If trust is broken, at what point do you quit the relationship? Secondly, if things are some situations in which the relationship is uncomfortable for you and your partner, that's um, nothing. That's nothing or still very little about it because he or she can explain those actions. Is it healthy for both of you? And finally, is there anything like fighting for what you want? And at what point do you fight for what you want? Okay. Well, I would say that, you see, if you value love and a lover or a significant one, you can fight for them. You fight for them in the sense that you want the best for them. Now, you don't want to lose energy or steam in protecting that individual. So what is worth fighting for is worth fighting to keep. Now, where it is that you know clearly this is not yours, don't fight for it. Especially if somebody is in love with someone and you are desperately trying to fight to get them. And it's a common phenomenon today where somebody will say, well, I'm in love with your friend as well. And we're doing all these things and trying to keep each other's attention. And that's what brings about many of these desperation. Now, the other one is trust. Trust is a very delicate thing to build, but it can easily be broken. Trust once broken may be repaired, but won't leave the relationship the same. There's a principle in integrity. It's called little soiled, greatly reduced. When you go and buy a white attire outfit, and then you notice that there is a dent of palm oil in it, it takes away the beauty of the white. 
because of that small dent. And so there's a need for us to ensure at all times not to take trust for granted. And when it is broken, we can repair it, but it will not be the same as previous. Some people build it again, but they wish it was like previous. It won't be the same. You may have flashbacks, you have memory calls, you may have anxiety, all those things, but you have to rebuild it over time. The individuals, because they've had broken trust, cannot trust anybody again. That in itself brings about paranoia. So you become paranoid about everybody, and that is not a way to go. Um, this, the second one I need to really process is because they, they appear to be speaking at different polls, um, but I'll take time to look at it and respond. So if you may kindly give attention to yours, I will come back to that. All right. Um, the next question is, uh, will you break up with a guy because he's constantly pressuring you for premarital sex? This is so simple. You get to the market, you want to buy tomatoes. And then one coming your way says, I'm selling okra. Do you have business? No. You don't have business. It's as simple like that. So I have a standard. My standard says I'm in Christ. God is my boss. He loves me. And my little way of showing my love is just obedient towards this man. And one of the things he says that if you defy yourself, it's going to go against you. So I'm holding that value. I'm looking for someone who will become one with me. And this particular person says, I have to defy you before I become one with you. Do you have business? No. So bye-bye. Okay, make it go. God, or you? All right. You're not asking intelligent questions. <laughs> you know, when, when you can't answer the question, that's how you put it. <laughs> uh, ask intelligent questions. First of all, um, let me start by saying what I learned from Elder Amos was incredible. I loved it. I have to start following you and listening. And, um, yeah, that's a good place to clap. Now, first, first of all, the prerequisite to find a partner, you see, look, all these questions, eh? When one, answer, when one question is answered to solve all these problems, yeah. right? <laughs> now, first of all, what I learned from Elder Amos' thing is men, men, women are not looking for lovers. When you're going to the wedding, the girl's father holds her hand and walks her to the pulpit. Then the husband comes. Why? The father is telling you, the guy, he said that, hey, I have brought her this far. 
as her father. From this point, I am handing her over to you to continue my duties. So women are really not looking for lovers. Women are looking for fathers. So in so the problem here is because daddy was absent at home, the man did not even have a model of a father to copy and to imitate, to know how a father must be. The girl too, that he was never home. So she too doesn't even know what she must look out for in the man. Mm-hmm. And two of you, Sanquas. <laughs> because, see, that's why it's critical. Yeah. The family, daddy must be present. present. But you cannot tell mommy I love you because daddy never told mommy I love you. So the man cannot tell his wife or his daughter I love you because he never heard his father say it. The woman said, tell me you love me. Say how? Say, but tell me you love me. Say, I don't know how to tell you I love you. Daddy never said it for me to see you here. To them, the man must slap the woman. Yeah. Put her in place. You are the man. Yeah. Shut her down. Sit down. The control. You are the man. You are a fool. <laughs> Did you hear that? She wasn't created from his feet for him to trample upon her, nor his head for her to be over him or sit on him, but where? From his side, under his armpit. For him to protect her, beside him, for her to be equal to him. He made, he made the man a help meet. If I want to do my homework and I need help, do I need someone who's dumber than me? I need someone less intelligent? No. I want to carry this thing. Do I need someone, if I need help to carry, do I need someone who's less stronger? I need someone equally as strong or stronger. Now, if God in his abundant wisdom creates a help for the man, a help, you think you create someone weaker? I'm talking to you girls. Mm. You think God creates someone less strong, less intelligent, less smart, then how she be of help? So women, don't fool yourself. Your problem is identity. You don't know who you are. That's why you have low self-esteem. Because society has told you that you must hold a Louis Vuitton bag. And if you don't hold a Louis Vuitton bag, you don't have value. So So what 
gives you value now is your bag and your shoe. That because I'm wearing Nike, Nike gives me value. So if I take your Louis Vuitton bag from you, that means who are you? Nothing. That means nothing. So it's the bag that's giving me value. It's the other way around. Because you, of course, is holding a Louis Vuitton bag, you, of course, has given the bag value. Yeah. Know who you are. How? Who is Christ? You can't say you know Christ if you don't know the knowledge of Christ. I'll talk too much. Let's continue. Well, uh, some of the questions are such that you need to get the principle that governs your life as a Christian and these questions will be answered. Uh, for instance, it says, which days must you talk to your partner and what time and for how long? All right, okay. <laughs> now, now, the other one is, is it advisable to be in a relationship with someone you have never seen or known? You see, I have said what I said because the cure is not in the do's and don'ts, but the cure is first and foremost knowing who you are and whose you are. See, you are bought at a price. You are being sold and you are purchased and you belong to God. And because you belong to God, God defines who you are. And that is why he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is now your duty to know that well. You know, I had short nails when I was in elementary school. But one of the things I had was very good handwriting. And so those days, I would write girls' um, history notes for them, or civic notes, and I'll get Wache, or get Yokogeri. So sometimes I take two notebooks to the house of girls who are a bit lazy, and I'll write copiously the notes. But you see, the beautiful thing with writing is that as you were writing, you were memorizing. And so you come to school the next day, one had promised you Wache, the other one has promised you Yoko Gary. So you take the watch it today, and tomorrow you have Yoko Gary. And I was saving the money my parents were giving me. But one girl was always taunting me with short fingernails. So she can't say, short man. <laughs> That's how she was calling me, short man. She was taller than I was. So obviously because of her height. Then one day, it dawned on me that her handwriting was like chicken or chicks or hen or cockerel scratching the floor. Because the K is dancing this way, the I too is doing a kimbo dance, and this one is doing salsa. So one day she comes and says, hey, short man, I want you to copy Mr. Akujam's notes for me. I said, okay, Akujam was one of our teachers. So I said, you sit down, wait. I'll write it for you. But you write something, let me see. Then she wrote. And I also wrote the same thing. It was a line. And then I compared and contrasted what she had written and said, look at your handwriting. You have the impudence of a cockroach to tell me I'm short man. Look at your handwriting. 
like chicks scratching the floor. From that day onwards, she never taunted me with that because I found that where she thinks I have a deficiency, she equally had a deficiency. Because every human being is a blend of strengths and weaknesses. What somebody have as an advantage, you may have as a disadvantage. And equally, the reverse will be true. So don't look at what you don't have. Look at what God has blessed you with. Because sometimes you look at someone and you begin to talk down at yourself and run yourself down. But God sees value in you. Those of you who were here last night, I raised a scripture where Apostle Paul said, we have this hidden treasure in earthen vessels. God, I mean, many offices, they keep their money in a steel cabinet, cast steel. But God's treasure is kept in clay. Why? Because God is sovereign. Human beings, our best security is in things that are hefty, tight, encrypted with code. But God, he puts it in the clay because he knows the clay is vulnerable. And yet that's where he keeps his treasure. God is sovereign. <laughs> Amen. I think, Counselor, you have some questions from your end. So you give attention to yours. Mine is finished. Oh, you have some more? All right. I said some. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me go on. As I say, most gentlemen these days say confidently they don't want to marry ladies who are virgins. I think I have to add that question to another question, which is similar. I said, please, I want to ask, since premarital sex is bad, what happens if you get married and you realize your husband or wife is not sexually active? How would you handle it? Because I don't want to divorce. So I think they are similar. Yeah, they are similar. <laughs> Hello? All right. So let's talk about sex. Sex is, is, best, is best treated in the church. Premarital sex. To do or not to do. I'll leave that to you. But when I'm done, you know the answer. N- I always say that sex is a need to the man, but a want to the woman. Right from two years, your child, who is two years, when they wake up early in the morning, what do you see? Erection. We call it what? Morning. Men, are we here? We call it what? Morning glory. And I keep on telling people, that that morning glory doesn't say that you have a rest, so go and have sex. It's so strange that men, our tendency starts as much as two years. But the morning glory tells you, as a man, you are going to be a priest. So early in the morning, dawn, something wakes you up. Hey, wake up. It's time to give thanks to the one who gave you life. So the morning glory says, glory. It doesn't mean that practice sex and be 
master or doctorate degree in sex before you get into what? Marriage. I hope you are getting me. Look, every man, every man who have a relation who is potent, when you get married, you should be able to, you should be able to enjoy sex. I'm, I am, I am, those of you who go around raping people, say they reach orgasm. Not, in, not even married, those who go around raping people, they say they reach what? Orgasm. They mean the man was able to what? Come. Or get to that climax. I hope you are getting me. So when a, woman, a man is married and he's a virgin, what I'm telling you that if you're a virgin, if you marry, there's no means you cannot reach the climax. That's your need. The trouble is with the woman. The woman have a need which is called affection, which is thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. So before I even open up for that sex, you need to do some few stuff that open me up. Men, we don't do it. Men most of the time believe their power is just within their legs. But the power is not the legs. If, 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 if I was listening, when I was listening to um, Dr. What, what, what strikes me was some few things you were confirming about your wife. Being a best friend. So being a best friend, when you are coming here, you've been talking to your wife before you even get here. And when you leave here, you will st you'll still be talking to your wife before you get what, home. If your wife asks you how was the program, you tell your wife it was fine. In fact, you tell your wife details. When you are going home because it's your friend, you find some few stuff, kill away uh, chocolate, you still want to get it for her. Your wife, you are thinking, these things are affection. There are men who are not affectionate. They get married, and the, the <laughs> sex has become like routine rule. When I come to just prepare yourself. I'm coming for action. It makes it so difficult for the woman. So it's your need, there's no problem. The woman is going to be a want, but how do you make that woman so interested in their art? You can do it. So what I wanted to say that every man can teach the wife how to certify him, and he can also learn from the wife what to do to make the wife happy. The trouble is people don't grow, people don't learn it. So if you learn now, when you're not married, and you become a PhD in sex, who are you learning with? Because the person you are going to get married is not different, it's different from the one you learned that with. Most of the time, when we are ready, those we learned with are not the one we are even going to get married to. I hope you are getting me. So, and, and it creates a lot of complications. So what I'm saying is, if you marry as a virgin, look, if you have not tasted sex before, you've not had sex before, let's say a lady, you've not had sex before. If your, your opening is like, is closed, if a pin enter, Pin will be en enough to what, certify you. Thank you. But if you, if you explore and you enjoy and you have a timber and you marry, I'm telling you, uh, <laughs> Woma, <laughs> it's also a wood, but it's not a timber. You will be able to what, certify you. So don't put yourself into that temptation. You can be able to enjoy yourself to the fullest. If you are a virgin, it's a matter of learning and growing with that. Wait, 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 don't clap. Well, let me, you see, look. 
You are so corrupted. You can't ask a question like this. You know why? Originally, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. But because you've been... Then they say, oh, if I don't do it, I get married and the thing is small. What will I do? Because you have been around so much, you, you, now you can compare. You know what is small, what is not. If you had never been anywhere, you take it like that. Because that's what you know. But you have seen different types. Now you know which is which. So yes, that's a problem. If you were faithful, quiet, and you obeyed God, and your husband came, and it's like this, that is what you take. Because there's nothing to compare it with. Yes, I'm saying. Wait, wait. How do you stop the desire or affection for someone? Number two, when you want to get rid of someone, do you delete the contact messages or stop chatting the person? Desire and affection is not love. Love is not a feeling. Jesus told the disciples, I leave you with this last commandment that you love one another. And he said, how? Just like I have loved you. I leave you with this last word. What? Commandment. But you, when you see the woman moving, then you're having feelings. Feelings are chemicals. Chemicals change every five minutes. Love is not a feeling. Love is a law. Love is a what? It's a law. I leave you with this last commandment. Then he says, love your enemies. How do I love my enemy? Someone who has sworn to kill me because it has nothing to do with how you feel towards your enemy. Love is not a feeling because I feel this way towards you and I hate you because you want to kill me does not determine whether I should love you or not. It has nothing to do with feelings. If you are driving and you see the red light, the red light is the law. And the law says stop. It's not about how you feel that you are late for the meeting. So I'll cross. 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 The law will catch you, punish you, jail you. Because the law has nothing to do with how you feel. And I can show you when you have a partner, there are days and months where your partner will be your enemy. What do you have to do to your enemy? Love them. 
Why? It's not a feeling. It's a law. Obey. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the prayers I prayed as a young person was as I was keeping myself pure for the Lord, God should equally preserve the lady I'll marry in future. I started praying about who I will marry when I was around 18. I wasn't looking for a spouse at 18. One of the prayers I prayed was, God, take away any woman who potentially can be destructive to me. Now, when I met Evelyn, we were at a debate. That's where we met, at a pencil debate. And we were debating Moses and Paul, who did more for God. I was a lead spokesperson for the Moses group. And because many of us are New Testament believers or post-New Testament believers, we love to talk about Paul. And so the debate was such that they won. Her team won the debate. But I got a friend thereafter who became my wife. And she equally at age 26, a beautiful damsel, has preserved herself as a virgin. If you read my book, Doing Dating Decently, she writes a piece about the principles that governed our relationship. My in-laws and I, we are, we, they, they are like my parents. So when I lost both my father and mother within three weeks, my in-laws now are my parents. You see, for many of us, we are building relationship with people without considering the fact that they come from families. So you build a relationship beautiful. You marry, lovely. But you can't connect with those who are around that individual. And some of them will be fighting you. They'll be praying you away. They'll wish you dead. I want you to know that relationship is not a narrow activity. There's a broad spectrum of dealing with many people who are around the individual. It is so important. Now, someone is asking, is age a factor to consider? Of course, age is a factor to consider, but age is not the only factor you consider. But you consider rather maturity. And he's asking, what if the lady is older than you? Yes. You see, the Bible tells us, that's why I talked about biblical principles. You can do any and everything. Not all things are lawful or beneficial. You can decide to rule on this ground if you're wearing all white, but you cannot avoid the consequences that comes to the ruling. There are a lot of men who have wives who are older than them. It's not an issue as long as you don't have an ego problem. It is a problem when the man has ego and cannot stand societal problems and pressure. Hey, the wife is older than him. One year, two years, three years. But when you marry and the gap between the two of you is as though you are father and daughter or mother and son, that can create an issue for yourself because you are all growing and nobody is retrogressing or standing still. When the other hits menopause, you are now firing on all cylinders. She's having hot flashes 
and dryness and all that. So all the things that are exciting for you at your age, for her is a nuisance. It is there that you realize that, Charlie, age is not just a number, but it's a reality that takes place in the bodies of people. So let's be careful. I mean, for instance, President Kofor, the wife is older than him. But they have a beautiful marriage, isn't it? And he's not the only one. There are a number of elderly men in the society who have wives who are older than them. It's about the two of you coming to understanding and knowing that you are in this for a real deal. Now, somebody is asking about submission. And his, he or she is relating submission to the empowerment of women. And then how women see men as domination in the way they handle themselves. And he's asking in the face of democracy, how do we balance it? Look, my wife is a very empowered woman. But I'm not intimidated. Because we are differently designed. And the difference in design is God's plan. The problem we are having right now is people don't understand what it means to be empowered. So some of the girls go out there in marriages or those ladies and they go with a mindset fire for fire. Commonsensically. When you hear fire, you don't lift fire. You look for fire extinguisher. I've been wondering why people will buy into that kind of thing. Because, of course, I know. Uja, a best shoe in a professional way. So some of you are going to do Uja, a best shoe in a professional way. So now what is happening is that young men in marriages can't go home because there's a lady called Faber Wasso. She says, bring it on. But I want you to understand, I said it at church last week, submission is not a psychological decision. Submission is not a theory you learn in class. Submission is a spiritual endeavor. That is why it takes only people with the spirit of God to submit. It has nothing to do with to have more money. It has nothing to do with I'm more intelligent. Because the submission is actually not to the husband, but it's to Christ. But the man becomes the means through which the submission is rendered. It's like love. In fact, the wife is not the recipient of love. Because you do it as though you were doing it for Christ. For Christ. A couple went to a seminar and then the pastor was preaching and he addressed only the men and forgot to talk about the women. And he said the men were the head. They were, they were the head. They were the head. So this husband and wife go home. They get to the house and the man says, Aha! He says it in tree. So they saw for Nikan. Or see me, me yeti. You are nothing. You are nobody. The woman being very wise and spirit-led was very patient. She look at the husband and say, Oh dear. Oh, into me, who ye tea, me yeah. And yet, I want to humbly submit to you. You are head over nothing. 
There are a lot of men, they are purporting to be heads, but they're really head over nothing. Because the lady in your life, you see her as nothing. If she's nothing, your headship will be over nothing. You've got to value the woman in your life. And do not diminish her. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. If you love your wife, in fact, you're actually loving yourself. If she was less than you, why would she be yourself? Have you seen anybody beating himself? Have you seen anybody insulting himself? Nobody does that. So why do men find pleasure in beating, abusing, insulting, and pushing women under? No. Unfortunately now, some of the girls have mastered the art. You are dating a lady, she has told you, and you are following her. Keep going. You keep going. One day, in a fit of rage, you look at you, look at Uti, 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 She's messing up because she told you Some women, their tongue is like acidic caustic soda or acidic tongue. When they start speaking to you, they disparage you. Go to social media and see them. They are very hawkish. Hawkish. For them, everything is a fight. And some of them, they are actually doing shadow boxing. They are just fighting. <laughs> Listen to some people. Their name is Pepe Dem. How do you take Pepe Dem? Christian, how can you Pepe somebody? Those days when we were playing football, Hassan Kotoko, we shall score you. We shall put Pepe in your eyes. We shall score you. We shall put Pepe in your eyes. That was our jama. Then Christian lady, you say you're going to join a certain group of women who are saying they are fighting because they are empowered. One of the things I see in Ghana here is that the more empowered women become, the more sexual they look. Because I'm empowered, I have to show my cleavage. I'm empowered. So I say, tomatoes are this radiation. You know, these are the things. Look. I went to minister in a church. As I sat at the back, a young lady comes. When I see young girls dressed in a skirt suit or trouser with suit, they look smart and sharp. And she came in one of those trousers and her jacket. She comes to sit in front of me. She greeted me and sat in front of me. Then she got up and then she went. Later, I discovered that place was a washroom because I went to use the place when I had finished. And then as soon as she sat in front of me, her beads, her tattoo, butterfly tattoo at the back here, they were staring me in the face. I said, God, I'm going to hide under the cross. <laughs> hey! You see, sisters, let me say this to you. The things that brothers are running away from in the world, some people have brought it into the church. And the brothers don't know where else to run to. Because here I want to say, I love you with the love of the Lord. I'm looking into your face and you're giving me eye lollipop. 50 to 70 to 80% cleavage. 
As if we are here to show breast. And you find Christian sisters doing that. The sad thing is that I go to offices and I see a Christian sister. She sits here and she's now. She's now pulling things. And conscience should tell you what you're doing. There's something wrong. We sat as a panel for an interview. A young lady walks to the panel. She sits down only to discover that her breast was overexposed. She took her handkerchief and put it up like this. Like a bib. And she sat in front of us for a panel interview because she all of a sudden recognized there was something wrong with the outfit she chose. Somewhere napkin they call skirt. What's one cry? I want you. How can you do this to yourself? I mean, look, listen. Men are ice full. When I was in primary school, we were putting mirrors to look at girls' underwear. And go, ooh, shh. <laughs> in all my life, I'm yet to find a woman who is excited about a man's boxer shorts. She's not excited. So you, the young man, who have been showing your boxer, is a put-off for women. Some of the boxer shorts, you can see they need detergent. <laughs> Deliverance through detergent. Then you come and <laughs> some of the even walking is a problem. <laughs> and you bring it to church. You think that's the kind of man that ladies are looking for when they look at you. You look so miserable and you go and propose it. You see, these are basic things we should pay attention to. May God help us. Me, I won't say anything again. I'm done. If you bring some, I won't say it. I'll finish. I leave the rest to counselor and Majid. I'll sit here to enjoy your company. All right, thank you. Now, let me add something here. Um, with the issue about this gender stuff. This is something I'm very passionate about. Since yesterday in the night, I was talking to my wife on that. Um... This is the whole thought. Marriage. We all believe marriage comes from God. True of us. Yeah. So if you don't do it God's way, it won't be successful. True? Mm-hmm. And one of the materials that can make your marriage last until death do us apart is love. And the love of God. We believe that. No lust, no error, any kind of this kind of love. We believe that too. All right. So this is one woman who got married to someone out of worldly love. And within a marriage, the man had written stuff for the woman that this is the stuff I need. When you wake up, you clean the bed, you put this down, you cook for me, you serve me this and that stuff. So the woman looked at it and said, look, I didn't come, to, I didn't come for you to dominate over me. And the guy said, oh, I'm a man. So this was supposed to be hot, happening. So the marriage ended in divorce. Years on, a woman got married. And is with a new husband is happily with that marriage. As she's going through her darling, she, she came across this list that her old husband gave to her. 
And she was going to realize that all the ladies is doing the same thing with the new husband. Hello? But is doing it out of her own will. Effortless. And doing it make her happy. That is love we're talking about. So the first marriage, there was no husband. Love. And what I'm bringing to this is simple. Sometimes when we look at the marriage as a man and woman competing and stuff like that, those who speak that are not in Christ, and those who are in Christ could see things better. That with that God's love, your marriage will not work. Let me go with the question. The questions are very funny, but uh, you enjoy them. The first one says, um, Please, regarding to quote that looking at a woman lustfully is classified as a sin. What about if you had a wedding and the pastor says stuff like, um, let's close early because some people, there are some thoughts coming to their mind. Are they the same people also committing sin? All right, so this is what it is. If you are not married and you are lusting about any woman, you are committing hurt. That's a sin. But I believe the pastor's comment is about the people who are married. Maybe the man is lasting over the wife that oh, he can't wait to get in the house. Whose wife is he lasting over? Her wife. Is it her wife? I don't see it as what? A sin. If it's someone's wife or any other woman, that is a trouble. Hello? So the second question says, uh, how do you come out of come how do you come out of a, a relationship with there was no proposal? But you find out that the lady is a bad lady and she's not ready to change. Man, you the guy in question love the lady so much. What do you do? I said it last time that look, God loves us so much. And the same way God loves Satan. We know that God loves Satan so much. 